Good morning, Westside Sports family. It is May 23rd, 2023. As always, I am your host, Dakota Ezri. Welcome in to today's podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a recap of what happened last night and the Mariners' beatdown of the one Oakland slash Las Vegas Athletics, whatever you want to call them, the next Golden Knights. I'm going to do a couple things I took into from uh, last night's game. We have some pretty fairly still breaking news about the Seahawks. I'm going to cover one hot topic on NBA today. And then I'm going to recap the overall 2023 draft class for our Seattle Seahawks. With that being said, if you enjoyed today's podcast, I know I say this at the beginning every time, please subscribe, leave a rating. It helps me out a ton. We're getting closer and closer to beginning that sponsorship with HelloFresh. The more people I get to subscribe, who knows? Maybe we can do a baseball card giveaway. I have a ton of, a uh, you could say, very valuable baseball cards. So if you like this podcast, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors, your, your loved ones, your significant other, spouse, partner, whatever it is. Tell them all to listen. And let's get this brand and this podcast growing again. Okay. So the big headline that I'm going to talk about that's not PNW related, this is usually our ATW around the world segment, is the Lakers series season is over. Finally, the, the Nuggets handle, they, you know, handle the overall situation. They wrap up class. They close up the bar. They close up the restaurant. It's done. Reports are already that LeBron James should, re, you know, he is contemplating retirement. I'm going to just say what I have to say about this. If you don't like it, so be it. This is my this is my podcast. This is my opinion. Most of the time, I keep it very, very clean uh, as far as keeping my opinions out of things. But I need to just get this off my chest, okay? LeBron James should just freaking retire and go away. He should. He's been in the league for 20 years. Let somebody else have the mantle. Let somebody else rise up and become the face of basketball. It was supposed to be John Morant. But uh, no pun intended, I don't think there's a shooter's chance that that happens anymore. Um, Sorry, that was low-hanging fruit. I couldn't help myself. The NBA, it's it's Jokic. It was Embiid. Embiid's a big crybaby. I don't know why he won that. You want to know why he won the MVP for Joel Embiid over the clear, obvious person who should have won it, which was Nikola Jokic? And again, I'm not a huge Bob basketball fan. I used to be. But the stats on this kind of information in this conversation is incredibly eye-raising. Did you know the NBA has had less than three people win back-to-back-to-back MVPs? The last person to do so was Steve Nash when he was a Phoenix Sun with his long hippie hair, right? Love you, Steve Nash. I was hoping you would have some kind of success in Brooklyn. It didn't work. So be it. Fa-la-la. Here's it. But it's... Why? Joel Embiid is not a better player than Nikola Jokic. And I get the conversation of that the MVP is not something that should be taken into account with playoffs. They should be separate. I fully agree with that conversation because what happens in the regular season versus what happens in the postseason are two two different awards. They're viewed differently. They're graded differently. I 100% agree with that statement. However... Two things can be true at the same time, as one Brock Hewer likes to say, and I've been re- referencing him a few times here in the podcast this last week. Nikola Jokic is by far the better player than Joel Embiid is. He's a better teammate. He's a better fit for his city. You know, Nikola Jokic, as far as I'm frankly considered, is the most talented player in basketball. He's better than Kevin Durant. 
He's better than Jimmy Butler. He's better than, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, whoever else, John Morant, whoever you want to list. He's the best player that Joel Embiid won the MVP. And now we're seeing Jokic take his team to the finals. And then once again, Joel Embiid can go off and eat some soul food in Harlem and try to make himself feel better about his life. So that's what I got to say about that. Uh, the Denver Broncos released their kicker, Brandon McManus, who's been with the team for a handful of years. A bit, pretty pretty big roster shakeup because right now they have no kicker on roster. I think this is a money cap saving situation. They asked him to try and restructure his contract. He was not willing to do so, which as a kicker, I don't understand. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But that's a very eye-raising thing. Uh, like I said, eight, the ATW today around, around the world was was, was, was going to be shorter. I wanted to get this conversation about Jokic and Embiid off my chest because I've been seeing a lot of conversation on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at capital PNW Professor. You can find me there. Um, picture with me and my niece in there, which is a great, fun little picture. There's plenty to, to, to be thankful for. And speaking of being thankful for, I wanted to say as a brief, brief uh, little side segment here, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who has been re-listening to the podcast, getting back on the train. I know that content was really sparse for a while. Again, apologies for that. I was dealing with a whole bunch of crap with moving and trying to get myself situated. But now that I'm back in the saddle again, as they say oh so famously in Western Tales, that we can kind of, I can get back to my grind and get back to my normal scheduling. So assuming and pending, obviously, other things that pop up, we're going to be getting at least three podcasts in a week. We're going to shoot for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I still want to do mailbag Mondays, but to be honest with you guys, and I'm not trying to throw shade at people who listen because I know that that's not exactly the best ta- tactic to do to do so. I need people to physically give me ideas on what they want me to talk about on a mailbag Monday. I need five questions and I, and I saw when I when I logged before I logged in today I checked out my my numbers and on downloads just for today there were five listens today which thank you I know it's not a whole lot or for you know a lot of people on bigger podcast platforms but I really appreciate those five people who listen today for those five people who listen can just can you guys just take one minute out of your day if you don't have Twitter fine uh you I have a Facebook group that's local here in Skagit County you can find it called Sports in the Northwest. It has a Green Mariners logo on that. You can find me there. I'm going to be getting a chat group and a forum. If you guys want a Discord, I could possibly think about making that as well. Then kind of engage the conversation. I know that 2023, the Discord's really popular right now. So if that's something you guys want, let me know. But until I hear from you guys, it's going to be TBD. And it's going to be like an MIA. I was exactly as to what happens with that. Pardon for, for the acronyms. We're rolling in. To the Mariners beatdown that it was last night over those puny, miserable Oakland Athletics. La Piedra, El Raco, Luis Castillo was fantastic last night. Uh, career strikeout number 1,000 on the bump for one Luis Castillo last night. He was fantastic, dominating. Uh, a couple of small takeaways I have from, from his performance. Very simple. Luis Castillo was dominant. He came out with a fastball that was touching 99 consistently. He was painting corners. He was throwing that sinker high and tight up in the up in the top left-hand quadrant on both lefties and righties. And when he can hug the top of that top of that zone, clip the top of that zone, that makes his overall repertoire so much more dangerous and harder to, to read. And he's so deceptive. They talked about uh, Pete, Pete, excuse me, Pete Woodworth, if I can talk today. 
who was the pitching coach for our one Seattle Mariners, he talked about specifically that they got Luis back to what was the center of the mound. They saw he was kind of leaning or sliding off one side of the mound. They kind of recentered him, and we saw the results last night. Grand again, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. The win that it was last night, it was a great game to watch. It was a ton of fun. But it all starts, and Scott Service and Jerry and Justin Hollander all talk about this. It starts with the guy on the mound, and then you work your way forward from that. Really happy for Luis Castillo. Congratulations, Luis Castillo, on your 1,000th strikeout. The numbers are staggering him uh, for him at T-Mobile Park. Almost called it safe go again. Uh, I don't have, excuse me, for, 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 for the numbers, what you guys need to know is simple. Less than a subpar to ERA. The guy is flat out dominating in our ballpark. This is the exact reason why we went out and got Luis Castillo. And he top your rotation starter that the younger guys can really lean on. So, Luis, fantastic. Love to see it. Now we're going to go down to the offense. Because the offense, really, for me, was the story of last night's game. I know, obviously, how dominant Luis was. But look at what happened at the top of our order. J.P. Crawford getting on, drawing walks, increasing pitch count. Kyle Muller last night is bad. He was a pitcher that got tossed in for Sean Murphy. He's not exactly anything to write home about. I believe he was the same part of the deal for with Christian Pache, who is already DFA'd. That is a stupid move by Oakland, but I'm not going to do that today. But it was a good overall performance. It was a refreshing reminder that this team can hit the ball, right? And I know that Oakland sucks. We all know that Oakland's not very good. But Jose Caballero, this guy is just lightning in a bottle. He wants to create problems. He wants to make havoc. He dominates the pitch clock. He's going to make the pitcher work to him. I love the kind of moxie, the intelligence, the bravado that this guy has brought to us. Quite frankly, Cole Wong could be DFA tomorrow. I know he's earning seven or he's due to earn $7 million for the rest of the season. I fully understand that there's a narrative that you don't want to just, you know, throw away. What was a throw, a toss in trade, or a throwaway between both, both clubs? Milwaukee was significantly interested in Jesse Winker because of the, of the potential upside with him coming back to the NL East, um, or the NL Central, excuse me. That Abraham Toro just wasn't really coming to fruition. He was still a fairly valuable piece. He was the one that obviously made it happen. And then Colton Wong was coming off of a career year in Milwaukee, and it seems to be like lefties in that ballpark have an ability to kind of hit the ball for a larger tune. Speaking of that, Jesse Winker has currently a 77 WRC+, plus, 100 being league average. Jesse Winker is 25%, give or take, worse than a league average hitter this year. So you really didn't give up a whole lot for getting Colton Wong. You're just having to pay the piper when it comes to his contract. Caballero, fantastic. I talked about him. Jared Kelenic. Jared Kelenic, man. I love the the phrase, you know, we're going to Jared's every time he hits a home run. The little Sammy Sosa little hop coming out of out of his out of the left-handed batter's box. Jared Kelenic is carrying this team. Him and Caballero are carrying this team right now. It's unbelievable what's happening. They homer in back-to-back games. Um, obviously Caballero is going to be the one that has the, the, the starting role, the starting position on this roster. He's earned it. He has every reason to be playing every single day. Dylan Moore sounds like he's still on track, knock on wood, that he hasn't had any kind of injuries or a bounce back or a setback or anything. He is progressing in the right direction. That is 
huge for this organization right now because we desperately need more bench and to deepen our overall lineup. And then the last thing I want to lead off with, or excuse me, the last thing I want to uh, say as far as the offensive side of the game goes for yesterday was one Julio Rodriguez. Julio looked much better last night. The swing looked half as like tenuous or strenuous, excuse me. He's been swinging so hard. I talked about it yesterday's podcast that he's going to swing so hard. He's going to herniate that back, the disc in his back, you know. You don't need to hit the ball to Portland, Julio. Just hit it to Lumen Field, you know, which honestly, if he had a metal bat, he probably could. But it was great for him to see him getting on base last night. We drew out the long A, we, uh, the long ABs. We made the, the the bullpen work. That weird Japanese six foot freaking seven looking dude for Oakland, who had some weird gyro ball looking thing. They're not. They are a bad, awful, worst team in baseball. And we did exactly what we needed to do. Their Oakland A's are ten and thirty eight. They are on record to have one of the worst records in the history. Of baseball. So, uh, I don't know if Billy Bean still exists for the organization. I don't know who exactly is running it. Trent Blank, blah, blah, blah. But what I can tell you is that you need to make hay with this, with this team. Tonight, it's Marco Gonzalez versus some uh, Medina. Luis, Luis Medina for Oakland. He's got a bad ERA. I'm nervous about Marco. I know I've talked about how bad Oakland is. But Marco's been bad. And I know he's had like two starts that were pretty good. One of them was against Houston. Props to you. But you got to take advantage of your opportunities. This is a start for Marco where he should be going six innings. It should be two earned runs at the max. Right? And I know that, you know, there's still a comp, you know, a comfortable lineup with Brent Rooker and um Shaylang Lear stuff stuff like that. I've got a first baseman. I don't remember the top of the head. I saw for the first time last night that looked pretty decent. Looked like a like a younger Joey Gallo, but it's a bad team. You've got to make hay when when the grass is cut. Let's bail it up. Let's throw it up inside the barn. Let's start making some money off of it. Okay. Excuse me for the ran, random country uh, analogy, but I couldn't help myself. Okay. So we're done with Mariners for today. We're going to transfer to Seahawks. I want to talk about this this draft, and we're going to go pick by pick, and then I have some breaking news that we're going to get to at the end of the show, and then we had a signing to deal with that. So it's going to be a little bit of an impact Seahawks segment here. One, obviously, Devin Weatherspoon, corner, Illinois, thumper. Uh, Troy Polamalu was the comparison from one Pete Carroll after, after the draft. Obviously, it's TBD. We'll see exactly how that comparisons or compares to Tariq Woolen. Or not Tariq Wollen, uh Devin Weatherspoon, excuse me. But it's a great building block to build with Tariq Wollen is to have Tariq, to have Devin Weatherspoon, uh, having, uh, excuse me, Mike Jackson. You have Kobe Bryant. The list goes on, right? The team is deep at corner. So now they, they locked up. They took one of the most premium positions, one of the best players. It was really not talked about hardly a lick. Throughout the course of the draft process, from what I saw, there wasn't much coverage on him whatsoever. Props to Pete and John for getting that pick nailed down. Didn't love it at the first point, and I'm still kind of iffy on it now, but I see why they did what they did. That was one. JSN, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be obviously our 20th overall selection. Ohio State did not play a lick last year because of his hamstring injury. I did watch a video this morning on a couple routes he ran with Gino yesterday at OTAs. He looked good. He looked crisp. But, I mean, it's really hard to tell with these OTAs until I start seeing some pads go on and the competition ramps up. But I love Jackson Smith and Jigba. He fits in quite well with this team. 
You look at what we need coming out of the slot. Diaz Creech has been not being able to do a damn thing his whole his whole time here. It's been an absolute waste of a pick, especially with the next pick being Creed Humphrey, who which I was begging for in that draft class, but I'm not going to go back to that conversation. So I love what they did with Jackson Smith and Jigba. First round, nailed it, right? Second round picks. We talk about Derek Hall, outside linebacker, Auburn, run-stuffing, physical monster, leader of men, gets off the bus, looks like a dude. That's what we need. Boye Mafe, uh, who was also a second-round draft pick last year, he's going to be curious to see what he can kind of grow into, what the ceiling is for him, what he can kind of make his mold into, kind of, you know, see what you can kind of turn him into. What do you want him to be? Do you want him to be a... Uh, like a Daryl Taylor type? Do you want him to worry more about stopping the run? Uh, we saw him kind of, you know, not really get a whole lot of pass rushing opportunities, but maybe we work more on that. Sounds like he's been working with Cliff Averill on 360 Sack, which is the pro, uh, program that's run by Cliff Averill uh, for some of the players in the offseason. So we talk about Derek Hall. Zach Charbonnet, running back, UCLA, six foot 228. They call him the Terminator. This dude is tougher than hell. He just is. He's going to run through arm tackles. He's going to be a beautiful compliment. I know there's a lot of people that are still wondering why the holy hell did we spend a second-round draft pick in back-to-back years on running back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages who are new to our organization, allow me to explain this to you very simply. Pete Carroll wants to run the football with conviction. He wants to run the football with vengeance, with a plan. You know, it's like you see the, all, all, all the Batman memes and you're seeing vengeance. And all, all that fun stuff. That's what I see with Zach Charbonnet. This guy is going to run downhill. He has pretty good hands coming out of the, the backfield. He's a good pass blocker. He's so tough at the point of, of contact. He bounces off just like a bowling ball. He reminds me a lot, and I heard this from Michael Bumpus, so I'm taking a page out of his book on this, that he reminds me a lot when they had the, the, the two running back duo. Oh, shoot, I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head right now. Uh, in Jacksonville, it was Maurice Jones-Drew and another guy. They were absolutely dynamic. I think it was Fred Taylor was the duo I was trying to remember. They were nasty. One was lightning, one was thunder. And you were able to really provide that on and off the field. Really curious to see what, 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 what becomes of that. But Zach Charbonnet, I think, is going to be a beautiful addition for this team. Uh, Third-round pick, this is where I got a little bit interesting. Traded that third-round pick, or one of our third-round picks, to Denver for a third-round this year, and then a fourth-round or fourth-round pick in that draft, third-round pick next year's draft. They end up snagging Anthony Bradford with that pick guard out of LSU. This dude looks terrifying. I watched him simply in just the rookie minicamp, little activities and stuff, with he was doing some sled work. Holy mackerel, everyone. For this, like, I think there is a strong chance that if Anthony Bradford pushes and performs the way he's been performing at OTAs, working his way into training camp, the competition at right guard is going to be fierce between Phil Haynes and Anthony Bradford. I know they gave Phil Haynes the one year, about $5 million ish contract. And then. The same goes for the other linemen that, or for, for the rest of, uh, of these picks. So I'm going to go down here a little bit quicker for, for, for the rest of these. So just follow me here. We, you go out, you get a Mike Morris. You go out, you get an Olu Oluwatimi. That is such a tough name for me to say. And then you go out, you, you get a Cam Young, a nose tackle. And then you get Kenny McIntosh and, Jess, and Jesse, uh, I almost said J- J- Jesse Bates, Jarek Reed. So essentially what you need to know 
is that Olu Center, Michigan. This guy is intelligent. He comes in. He has over 5,000 career snaps at the center position. He was the number one rated center in all of college football, including linemen in college football. He received a very prestigious award. Congrats to him. Great pick in the, in the fifth round. Same thing goes for Mike Morris. Kind of like a, a what we call a three-tech. He can play inside. He can play a little bit of outside. He's going to be that Michael Bennett kind of player. Uh, they asked him to put on 15 pounds of weight since the draft. He was about 285. He's about 295-ish right now. Two, uh, he started at 280. He's about 295, 300 pounds. This guy looks great. He looks honestly like a young Clowney versus a Bennett, which is obviously pretty high praise considering that Clowney was one of the top picks in the draft class and Michael Bennett was Michael Bennett. But Mike Morris is going to be really intriguing, especially with their overall de defensive line depth and stuff like that. Cam Young, nose tackle, Mississippi State. This guy is a two, uh, what they call a two-gap spacer, right? This guy is going to be your, your nose tackle. He's going to be your Brian Monet. He's going to be your Al Woods. This guy is going to fill up a big void, a big gap space. He's going to challenge the running game. He's going to drive that center back towards the backfield and start that push. Love the pick. Pete and, uh, Pete and John have been gushing about this guy, saying that he's pretty much going to start. They drafted this guy to start, which I think is a great sign that they got a starter in the fifth round for, for nose tackle, considering how much you were talking about other players like Keanu Benton at the similar position. Okay, so let's go down to um, uh, Jarek Reed out of New Mexico State. This was one that nobody, including myself, had much of any info on. He did have a top 30 visit. There was a report that one other team was considering drafting him just before the Hawks were able to snag him. In, in the sixth round, uh, Pete Carroll likes to call this guy an angry little elf as his reference to via Corbin Smith on Locked on Seahawks. You can find them there. Fantastic podcast. I would highly recommend them. Him and Rob, Rob Rang, Dallas Cooper, Nick Lee all do a great job. Uh, it's just, This is the draft pick that I'm going to probably be watching one of the most heavily amounts, if that's proper English, in this upcoming offseason for us in training camp and OTAs, all that stuff. Because Jamal Adams still coming back from that quad tendon. Next season, I know this is a lot of foreshadowing and looking into the future. The Seahawks have every ability to cut Jamal Adams next year and not eat not have to eat nearly the amount of money they would have had to do this year. It was it was almost impossible for them to do it this year. I know he has the torn quad tendon. It's a really gnarly injury. The rehab has been, you know, six, eight plus months, blah, blah, blah. He's not here for OTAs. That's a conversation to have for, for Seattle Sports Station, which they've already had, thankfully, on 710. But Jarek Reed is going to be something to really keep an eye on. I think he's going to be a special teams mania, maniacal monster. I love his approach. I like the overall instincts. He's a ball hawk. He prides himself on tackling, which last year, if there was anything I could have screamed for, like bloody murder, with Freddie versus Jason, like esque would be like just to tackle the guy, tackle the ball carrier, whoever has the ball, wrap him up. We couldn't tackle last season, we couldn't stop the run, so that's going to be something to watch. And then their last draft pick, Kenny McIntosh, out of Georgia, running back, one of two uh, players in the country besides for one Deuce Vaughn out of K State. Oh, I would have loved to see picked up, but he was drafted late by one Dallas Cowboys. Great pickup by Dallas. That uh, Kenny McIntosh, bigger guy, six foot, about 208-ish pounds. Guy's got really good height, really good build, 500-plus uh, receiving, 500-plus rushing. 
Like I said, he has the ability to be a great screen guy, even though we haven't been able to run a screen our entire time here in the PNW. We have sucked forever at that stuff. We need to find a way to kind of juice and spring that back up to life. So that's the overall draft class for these for, for these Seahawks. I know that I am way behind on this stuff, way, way behind. Uh, I'll be getting more and covering more information as we get uh, you know, deeper and deeper into the offseason for Seattle. I did reference at the beginning of this segment that there was a pretty big injury note. This happened this morning about an hour and change ago. Uh, information came from Adam Schefter that our Tariq Woolen all-star, or excuse me, all-pro, Pro Bowl corner, former fifth-round pick. Uh, he had a little knee cleanup surgery today. That's not exactly ideal you want to hear, but it sounds like that's the reason why he was on the field yesterday. Still no information yet on Daryl Taylor. We'll get more information hopefully about that today. Pete Carroll was not available to media yesterday. But what I can tell you is that this sounds like it's very minor. He just needs a couple bodies, something, you know. Sometimes these guys have little bodies and stuff that float around in their knees. And it's caused some irritation and kind of some feeling they don't really care for before they can go full money, full throttle. So that's kind of, uh, that was the bigger piece of news today for Seattle. They did sign cornerback Artie Burns, who was here last season. Didn't play hardly any because he was battling a groin injury last year. I feel with you, Artie. That's a very, very obnoxious thing to, to, to deal with. I'm almost at this for two years myself with a groin injury. Um, but it's a good addition Smart addition. He was here with Sean Desai before Sean Desai left uh, from Minnesota, stuff like that. So we're getting some more depth at the overall cornerback room. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be today's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast and the overall show, conversations and topics. Please do me a huge favor. Uh, subscribe, leave a rating. If you guys want to reach out to me, please. I am challenging people who listen to my podcast to to send me stuff they want to talk about. If you're with me on Twitter, send me stuff on Twitter. I am very, very good at responding back to, to people, comments, questions, topics, all that stuff. Facebook, you can find my group there. Sports in the Northwest with the, with the teal emerald green logo insignia up, up, up in the corner. And with that being said, hope you guys have a beautiful, fantastic day. And I will catch you guys next time. Peace.